And hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative Live. It's a Thursday evening. We're back with another big show tonight. And tonight, it's part two of The Dragon's Tale, where we're looking at the relationship between Rupert Murdoch and Jared Kushner. And there's some big exclusive news that we have hidden in that show. Not so hidden, but uh, in that segment, we'll show you that a little bit later on. Uh, Eric Garland is back with us. Eric, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Zeb? You know, every time I see you, I just get cheerful because it's so nice to see you. You're, you just make me happy. So I'm, I'm glad you're here. You make me happy too, Zeb. You're the one person I can speak to about all this stuff. And here you are. So you had a great interview the other night on Tuesday night, by the way, uh, which I'm still you know, processing because I just think the size and scope of what you and Robert Buckland are busy exposing is so massive. And if people haven't seen that interview, it will be available as a podcast in the next couple of days. But also, you should go check it out on our previous live stream. But it's a... Uh, it is. It had an enormous reaction online, and uh, oh, yeah. and, and quite deservedly so. So, how are you feeling about that? Uh, in now that we've uh, you know processed it for a couple of days, gum. You know, it's the, the toothpaste is not going back in the tube on this one. There have been so many uh, brave survivors of these trafficking networks uh, masquerading as schools, rehabilitation centers, charitable centers, helping um, you know uh, disabled people incorporate back into uh, mainstream life when in reality it's life labor. There have been so many survivors of this that they're all kind of coming together with the power of different uh, internet, social media, you know, forums. And uh, a lot of them, you know, I've, I've just interviewed new ones since we did our show the other night who weren't aware of uh, some of what has been happening in Missouri. I've been hearing from people as far away as Florida and Maine, who all have the same kind of story. And um, this is the beginning of exposing a terrible truth about how many fortunes have been built on the back of slave labor. I mean, it's 400 years uh, and counting. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of essentially tried to put a technical pause in in 1865 with the 13th Amendment, but apparently, guys, it didn't take. So uh, we got to finish the job. I mean, you know, what you're saying, and I think I mentioned this to you on the phone earlier on, is that there is a you're sort of beginning to to poke at the underbelly of the story that we have been coming at from another direction. We've been looking at, at the mob from a big picture perspective and how foreign uh, influence has been corrupted by the mob or vice versa. I'm not sure which, is, which corrupted which, but that it has been, you know, really corrupted our country. But what you're seeing from the inside out is that there is a lot of organized criminal activity, which is the kind of stuff that we'd all shake our heads at. We would never believe this would be happening inside America, things like slavery today. And you're beginning to expose that uh, from the inside out. And I think it's a laudable work and I, you know, we'll continue to cover it with you, but there's so much here. And as you point out, everyone who responded to your interview the other day from many, many states, a lot of people on YouTube and elsewhere who are commenting about this has just been part of the fabric of American society for a long time. And there, it has to end. I mean, surely now is the time where all of this has to end. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to do that. And congratulations on your good work for doing that so far. More of that comes from, but we got to look at the big picture too. So that's, uh, we're getting back to our great serial here. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to come in the next second half hour, but I first want to touch on some of the news stories right. because there's so much good stuff. Firstly, I mean, it's not even good. If Donald Trump is going to get indicted people. I mean, it's clear to me, I'm not inside the prosecutor's office, but it's clear to me that that's where we're heading. It's now about 50 to 75 subpoenas that have been uh, out there that are, um, uh, you know, requesting documents and requesting information. We see that Mark Meadows is now basically flipping. I mean, we, you can read between the lines that he's flipping. I, he is not officially flipped, but 
that it seems to me what is happening. Uh, and Donald Trump himself is scared. He's now saying that there will be big problems for the United States if he's indicted in the stolen document scandal. And um, I mean, there, there are big problems for the United States because of the document scandal, not just because he's going to get indicted for it. This is turning out to be a massive international espionage scandal, the details of which we can't even talk about yet, but they aren't going to be revealed in the next few weeks. But this threat, this implied threat of big problems for the United States, this along with the other day, he was calling for uh, the QAnon storm, you know, and suddenly we saw Epstein come up again in Twitter last night. These are, you know, I would say the dog whistles, but they're not even dog whistles. They're just a call to arms for Americans to basically start a civil war based on this criminal, this absolute criminal mobster, you know, breaking the law repeatedly in a way that can't even be imagined or, or fathomed. And now he's calling on people to start a civil war on his behalf. Um, that's basically what he's saying in all these for the second time in two years. The so, second time in two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Not long after, um, some of the agape school came up and there was quite a brouhaha. All of a sudden, uh, governor Parson here in Missouri, he puts out a, a tweet about this Patriot training center that where snipers can train. I don't know. As a citizen here, that kind of felt threatening. Like why is the governor telling snipers where to go practice? Can anyone help me with that? I mean, this, this whole militia builds up, the whole GOP infrastructure in these red states seems to be, you know, basically mob, basically a mob organization. And, you know, it, we've seen it time and time again. It's going to be very hard, but people have to really, as we head into these elections, focus on organizing yourselves into making sure that in every possible way, the GOP is not allowed to into any of these seats that are up for election this coming November. It's just so vital that there's a big enough mandate that we win the House, that we hopefully win the Senate. And I say we, I'm never siding with political party, but this time I'm siding with the side of democracy. And, you know, the only way to save democracy is with the Democratic Party winning the Senate, the Democratic Party winning the House, and also the Democratic Party winning a lot more of these governorships and a lot more of these state houses. And that's the only way that that's going to happen. Now, some of that is going to be too possible to do. But you mean you're describing the 30, 40 year strategy of the Koch brothers and Leonard Leo and the Federalist Society? Like, that's what the bad guys were doing here. Yeah, that's exactly um, where we've been for the last 40 years. Yeah. By the way, note, I don't put that as Republicans, mm -hmm. though a lot of these guys do run the Republican Party now. I'm talking about, uh, you know, there's plenty of good Republicans out there and plenty of good Republican talent that if they could get, you know, a word in edgewise versus these mobsters that, you know, they'd be the counterbalance to occasional uh, liberal excess that the country really needs. We're not mm -hmm. going to be a mono party state. And I don't think we're intended to be. No. But the uh, point behind democracy you know, is that you have multiple parties. That's the point. And, you know, we're yeah. a pro-democracy outfit here. But I will say that in this case, there is no room for uh, the MAGA GOP. There's just no room for criminal activity like this, which has been sweeping up this country for the last at least five, six years, but obviously much longer. You know, we'll speak more about the corruption inside the Trump administration in the next half hour. But uh, let there be no doubt that there is no future for this country if the GOP wins the House and the Senate. I mean, then we're in real trouble and there's absolutely no room for that kind of um uh that kind of even error in in, in not American, not no American future history. a crappier future well yeah crap uh, uh, well a future which i don't think people understand you know i was reading today about the gop now in texas are now not even allowing people to get access to prep medications which would stop the spread of hiv if as part of a um, religious exclusion 
thing that they've oh, you know, really? introduced with conspiracy. Oh, so now, cool. you know, now the GOP is encouraging the spread of HIV and AIDS in America because that is the kind of They're America like that we want. They're like a pro-biowarfare party. Yeah, See, it's, it's lost its path uh, a long time ago. There is other news. Makes Chinese intelligence happy, though. That's that's their jam. They love that kind of thing. I wonder if there's any, you know, linkage in uh, tasking anywhere. Just oh, thinking out loud. Well, speaking of which, there was a, um, a summit today between two world leaders. It took place in Uzbekistan, and she and she, I should say, and Putin have decided they will inject stability into the world now. <laughs> The hot stability <laughs> injection. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. You know, it's interesting that everyone's sort of going crazy about the fact that, you know, Putin suggested that Xi has some qu- uh, questions and concerns about Russia's failed war in Ukraine and other policies. And that was meant to be a big give in this meeting. But truly, the yeah, other just because they paid for it. Yeah, they paid for it. And now they can't do Taiwan because of it. But this has been uh, these two people are probably responsible for everything that's happened in the last six years. I mean, whether they, you know, you can argue about who took the lead on what front, but this alliance of the Chinese and Russians to foister, um, you know, basically fascism across the world and to disrupt democracies around the world, including the American democracy, has so much gold in it and so much disgusting corruption and and criminal activity in it that it just boggles my mind that the people in these countries are not raising up them, you know, are, are not up in arms trying to remove these people from power. It seems unbelievable to me that Putin is still in power after this horrific uh, genocide that he's committed in Ukraine. And she as well. I mean, maybe this is part of the Western world, which thinks maybe she is more stable than whoever might come next. But what these people have brought to the world over the last few years, and now they're injecting stability after wreaking havoc for five years. Now is the time when they want to inject stability. It's maddening. And um, and nothing screams stability like the regime of Uzbekistan. You know, <laughs> there's nothing as stable as literally boiling your political opponents, which they were doing like 20 years ago now yeah. ish. Is uh, Islam Karimov. That's where they're, I mean, look, they're not in Reykjavik. They're not in Geneva. Uh, you know, Putin's push into Western Europe certainly didn't make it all the way to uh Madrid, that's kind of nice, right? I mean, it didn't make it didn't make, yeah. I mean, by the way, did you see that yesterday? The the American intelligence uh, world, the community, whatever you want to call it, uh, f- you know, put out this thing that's their estimate is that Putin paid three hundred million dollars to basically inject himself into political campaigns around the world, including the United States. Three hundred million dollars, basically, in an attempt to increase fascism around the world. Um, it's paid off very poorly for him. That was a bad investment. But $300 million is what the U.S. officials now officially say is what Putin invested in by bringing us the likes of Donald Trump and Berlusconi and uh, Berlusconi, you want to talk about um, uh, Brazil. Uh, it's a fra- you know, the term at least $3 million does an enormous amount of work there. It's, it's way more than that. If you know how much yeah. the, the budget for keeping intelligence officers in the field for a month is, yeah. um, you know, that's ridiculous. That's, I mean, it's a crazy number. It's just to put something in the paper. Yeah, um, 300, million fine, still, you know, 300 million is still a lot of money, you know, in a lot, if, if it's just in terms of bribes of uh, officials. <laughs> that he, if, he, if you said he spent that in, you know, 2016 and 2018 on just Facebook ads, I might believe that. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, you know, whatever he spent, it's not how much he's going to pay. He's going to pay a whole lot more. How much do you think these uh, sanctions are? More than 300 million, don't you think? Oh, I sure think they are affecting the the Russian economy more than 
more than $300 million. But, you know, he has given a little bit of a lifeline by the Biden administration, which I find always interesting. They've given him just enough room to keep the economy going. Uh, and I bet you there's a reason for all of that, which we'll find out in the future. Um, you mentioned as well on your feed today, which I found really interesting, that uh, this guy's going to have a trial soon. Is that right? Did I see that correctly? It's a historic day on Monday. If you follow uh, Brandon Van Grack, who was the head of the Foreign Agent Registration Unit mm-hmm. at the National Security Division, you also might re- recognize Mr. Van Grack's name from the Mueller investigation, which he ran uh, mm-hmm. effectively. You know, he was saying on his feed, uh, and he would know being somebody that prosecuted and investigated not just the, the Mueller era stuff, but also all sorts of foreign agent stuff after the fact. Mr. Tom Barrack here, who is, of course, an old pal of uh, Paul Manafort, met him in Saudi Arabia in 1972, CEO of Colony Capital, Donald Trump's uh, business partner in that crappy hotel that was downtown that they uh, used as a spy trap and yeah. money laundry place. Barak is accused, among other things, of being uh, an unregistered agent of the United Arab Emirates attempting to influence American policy at the highest level on behalf of the Emirati government. Mm-hmm. And he's charged with 18 U.S. Code 951, which is a very serious foreign agent charge. It's not just the bureaucratic charge for people that are doing PR for a, a foreign principal without registering, like doing PR campaigns or, you know, trying to get... Um, op-eds placed. Um, This is the same criminal charge that was levied against the Russian illegals program uh, in 2010. That was the Anna Chapman gang, if you recognize the most attractive member of uh, the crew there. Uh, One of the guys I met, actually. Yeah. And so those guys got, they got scooped up in 2010 and deported back to Russia. And they were charged with 18 U.S. Code 951. And these were like GRU cream of the crop, posing as other nationalities in the United States, top level. Real officers. spies, real spies versus real, assets versus, uh, you know, people of versus, influence. You know, yeah. somebody, you know, who's got an unfortunate video of them and a goat and a high definition <laughs> camera. No, this is like real spies. And yeah. he's, that's what Mr. Barrick is being charged with. And he is only the second person to go to trial on mm. this. So no, the, uh, I'm not sure that the Russian guys pleaded out or anything they got deported in fact those 10 guys were swapped among other for among another guy uh sergey skripal who was apparently an mi6 mole in the gru in russia so ah. they traded that classic they, they stopped the plane at vienna apparently and they both got out on the tarmac got in each other's planes and push back to their home country and then putin tried to kill um, skripal and then putin tried to kill skripal in the uk with novichok it's, uh, so that's the, that's the level we're playing at. So no one's ever been to, there's only one other case that's been to trial. So Tom Barrack is going, who was thick as thieves with Donald Trump, set up Donald Trump's inauguration, people. Yeah, he was the head of the, the chairman people. of the inauguration committee, if I recall correctly. Yes, he was. He, he was handling a yes, lot of money being, for, being brought into the country from foreign sources, perhaps, uh, to influence the Trump campaign by donating to the inauguration committee. So That's uh, right. Yeah, Mr. Barack was very busy and has been for many years as an ally of Trump's, but also of Jeffrey Epstein's along the way and, and others, uh, you know, mob figures. So... It's interesting. He's been tied to UAE, as you mentioned now, but also to the Saudis at various times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, you know, he's the host with the most. He knows everybody. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, but more important, I mean, uh, the recent stuff is the most important. He yeah. had half ownership of that, the Trump hotel, which was a money laundering joint. It was the, the, the staging ground for the January 6th attack. Um, it was a source of emoluments for the president. And, but let's just go back to the first days, the inauguration. Mm-hmm. This guy set up bribes from all over the world mm-hmm. for these idiots. So, I mean, you know, and we've been talking about this for so long now. We're talking about we're almost, you know, six full years out from this. In January, it'll be six years when these things happened, right? And we're finally, you know, we're through enough of these layers that we can get down to some of the things that happened six years ago at the inauguration. It's kind of crazy, but. You know, the wheels of justice, they grind slowly, but they grind fine, as they point out in the end of that saying. And I think it's very true as we look at how deep uh, these investigations are going and how many people are going to jail for this now. And, you know, as I said the other day, I think the mood in Washington is no longer, they're no longer entertaining Trump in any way whatsoever. They are after him. DOJ is after him. They're going to go get him and they will get him. And the sooner he realizes that, the better off, you know, we'll all be. I, we do not know the extent of the espionage case in Mar-a-Lago. And that's going to continue to be large and, and I think very threatening. The latest uh, assessment I heard was that the threat to national security was grave. That's a big word for national security people to be using that kind of language regarding a national security assessment. So uh, watch this space. Also, watch this space. You know, everyone is busy burying Mr. Durham. Oh, God, could you see the press was just having a field day telling us how it's all over and fizzled out and what have you. It's not over yet, Oh, guys. oh you it's can't not- get Sergey Milion. There's a guy in Russia that won't fly here to testimony. It must be, to testify. It must all be done. That's it. It's not Nothing over yet, guys. I know everyone doesn't like Durham because, you know, God forbid he... He raises some questions about how we got here, but uh, I'm entertaining him still. I want to see what happens at this particular next uh, hearing because Danchenko is going. Is that's right? That's the guy's name, Danchenko. He's going to be. He's mm-hmm. he's the former head of FBI counterintelligence that is going under trial, right, or something like that. It's it's quite a serious. We, there guy was a to disclosure be, yeah. today in uh, an insider. There was a disclosure of uh, a grand jury document that was mm-hmm. interesting. I'm not sure how that came to, to be public, but it was looking for any information of connections to whoever this letter was aimed at and a guy who was the head of counterintelligence for the FBI for the city of New York or the New York field office. That would make him a subject of the investigation, I believe, in the technical terms. Not a target necessarily yet, mm. but a subject, somebody who is proximate to a crime they're investigating. Mm. And uh, he and another person mentioned in that, is in that an FBI grand jury document, chief? Was a, he, I think he was the head of counterintelligence in 2015-16. So remember the run-up and, you know, mm. FBI finds no connection to Russians investigating Donald Trump. He would have been kind of the head of the counterintelligence for guys in New York. So maybe he's the source of that coke even, mm. or, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's curious. And there's another guy and there, there was a whole, you know, they were looking for information on some really interesting characters, uh, in that grand jury investigation. But in any event, that ties back to this era of the steel dossier and, you know, how that narrative, uh, in the media pushed by the media, you know, overtook the actual intelligence community trying to do real serious 
work and um, much like the inauguration thing, we need to find out what was behind not just the, you know, how did Donald Trump become president, but how did our media keep lying to Americans Mm. about the whole situation? I mean, yeah, we do. We do absolutely need to find out what happened to that steel dossier. We have to know what happened to the Mueller. I mean, you know, it's not okay to just let Rod Rosenstein land the plane by creating a special counsel investigation, which was so limiting that it could only focus on Russia when we know now, as we've been saying here on Narrative for many years, that it was, you know, much more than that. There was an alliance of uh, countries, nations, and networks that were the enemies of democracy that have been targeting America uh, in various ways over the last few years. Uh, why, why was the DOJ's official investigation narrowed only to Russia? And if it was so... Not, and not just to Russia. Yeah. It was it was hyper specific. It was cut cut so fine so that they would have no right to bring charges on the things that they would find. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Rosenstein knew what the real game was and he knew what they'd find and what they wouldn't because, you know, when he authorized it, he would have had one of the highest level clearances. He may have had access to what really happened and then corruptly designed the outline of the Mueller report in advance so that, you know, first of all, I mean, who was the first guy that they're talking about? Carter Page, mm-hmm. who we know was a confidential informant working on behalf of the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was also, that, you know, working for others, but that's okay. That's what confidential informants do. The, the question which I, you know, Rod, did Rose, Rod Rosenstein know? Of course he must have known. And then you add that to Bill Barr's ridiculous handling of the Mueller report on the uh, when it was finally released and the, you know, incorrect uh, not even incorrect, criminally incorrect uh, assessment that he drew from the uh, actual Mueller report. And on top of that, all the latest allegations from Jeffrey Berman about what uh, Bill Barr was doing inside the Department of Justice. And you've got a Department of Justice run amok. And, you know, I'm very curious as to what happened there. And I think it's one of those things we really have to learn about, because if we don't learn about it, this will happen again. And yes, there are people on both sides, uh, of the DOJ and the media divide that are influencing each other in terrible ways. There's no doubt about that. And we need to find out exactly who they are and we need to make sure that they're no longer in place to do that in in the future. You know, we're gonna talk a lot about Rupert Murdoch and uh, Wendy Deng again in in tonight's special serial, part two of of The Dragon's Tale, but it it kind of ties into this Danjenko allegation that, that I found this clip as I was researching Wendy Deng and Rupert Murdoch that involves one Louise Mensch. Many of you on Twitter will know as, uh, uh, I don't know what you would know her as, take your pick. Um, but uh, the leader of the resistance, or maybe something else. She, before her history in the United States being an operator, working for Rupert Murdoch, trying to basically poison the Twitter well by identifying people who were, you know, patriots or not patriots in her terms or whatever else she decided to do. Before she did that, she was working for Rupert Murdoch. And I still believe she's working for Rupert Murdoch right now. She also works, you know, just to full, full disclosure here, for a, a guy named John Vane, who is a media mogul with uh, interesting international connections, you know, has been doing all sorts of operational activities in the United States, including with a woman named Stephanie Koff, which we've worked with before. I'm not going into that again, but I'm just saying that that's the network with which you are seeing. These are people who also helped cover up the Epstein investigation um, and other realities of Epstein. But before all of that, in 2011, she was pretending to be a member of parliament. Well, she was a member of parliament, Louise Mensch was. 
only she was one of those member of parliaments that was sort of in the service of Rupert Murdoch. So when this giant hacking scandal happened in 2011, uh, Rupert Murdoch, James Murdoch were held before a commission, you know, they were spying on people by accessing their phone voicemails. You know, she was the one who was in the committee asking questions of Rupert and John and James Murdoch. And Wendy Dang is there as well in this clip. Wendy Dang is seated right behind Rupert Murdoch. And what happened on this day was a journalist of some sort came in and pied uh, Rupert Murdoch in the face with a cream pie. It all seems like a giant stunt to me involving all these players. That they basically wanted to distract people from what was going on in the commission that day. So they thought, let's bring a guy to pie in James Murdoch. But the clip is kind of wonderful. So uh, here's <laughs> Louise Mensch uh, from 2011 with Rupert Murdoch and James Murdoch and watch for Wendy Dang's massive oh uh, knockdown of the guy. Here we go. Can you just tell me whether or not the Taylor settlement included a confidentiality clause and maybe the other settlement did not? This is slow motion. Here's James Murdoch reacting. There is Wendy Deng coming up in the, in, the, in the pink, I guess, and then she knocks this guy down by reaching over with that overhead uh, thrust of a punch. <laughs> Louise Mensch standing up in horror. Here comes the policeman finally. Oh, yeah. Time to arrest oh, this man. Oh, it's a bobby, too. There's it's no... a bobby. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. I think Louise Mensch's reaction is quite that, quick I, there. Did that, did... Is it a BAFTA? Is, is that what they have for um, like the Academy Awards? I forget. They have the BAFTA, yes. They have a BAFTA. Is that the BAFTA? They win a BAFTA for this. I they mean, it's quite have. well done. Oh, that. I mean, that's very good. That's very They good. should have won oh, a BAFTA Bobby, for that. I hope he got a Best Supporting Actor. They should have won that. I mean, this was clearly... The thing is, I mean, oh. looking back at this in hindsight, you know the whole thing was contrived. Because oh. look how quickly Louise Mensch stands up right there. Look, you got to make a gif of the, of the facial expressions. Oh, <laughs> oh snap! <laughs> Hey, Louise. I mean, nice to see you. We're watching you still. Nice. I hope you're watching us. No, I'm sure you are. Years, uh, yeah. So this uh, is the crowd we're dealing with, you know? Hi. Yeah. Hi. Okay. <laughs> Turn the clip off. Turn the clip off. Oh, my God. Um, oh, I couldn't resist it. I, st- I laughed so much when I saw that. I was like, I just got to play this for Eric because he's going to love it. Wendy Day's got a right hook, guys. Do not tangle with Wendy. Well, okay. she must have some training to be that good. I mean, that was impressive. She went right in and knocked this guy out. Uh, this was a, Did she snap his neck? I didn't see the rest of that. I mean, no. we, you know, before we get to like full Red Sparrow, yeah. you know, American season two stuff, we need to say like, did she talk? Just crack his vertebra or what? I think he was fine because I think maybe he was expecting all of this. But uh, he, uh, you know, it's interesting. They were already in the midst of their, not their best part of their relationship at this point when, because she was having an affair with Tony Blair at the time. Um, There's lies. Who cares where they put their pee pee Yeah, but she was having an affair with Tony Blair because, and this upset Rupert Murdoch because he was trying to run the United Kingdom with Tony. And then, you know, he's got this Chinese spy interfering in his things. And he's, yeah, whatever. Uh, Uh, Who knows what's case? Who knows? Every time you date a Chinese spy, it's the same thing. Until then, have a good night. Good night, Eric. Every minute of Narrative's reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny. 
and one. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives. <laughs>